Welcome to the Maximizing Outcomes Podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Achieving bigger and better results with money, family, and business isn't about creating a bigger to-do list for yourself. It's about who can help you create results without you having to do all the work. Listen as we provide uncommon perspectives, powerful resources, and experienced people that can help you maximize outcomes in your life. Let's get to the show. There are so many benefits when you freely give your time or money to a cause you believe in. Last year, $500 billion went to charity. About 90% of the wealthiest households in this country make charitable gifts, and those gifts come in many different forms. Welcome back to Maximizing Outcomes. I'm Patrice Sikora with your host, Jim McGovern. And Jim, you plan to open the Charitable Giving Toolbox today, and you have a guest, Kate McKenzie, correct? That's right. Patrice, we're going to be talking about charitable giving. We're going to open up that toolbox, and we brought a, a fantastic expert on today's episode. And uh, just at the outset, I just want to talk about charitable giving in general, because as not to date this episode, but we're getting into the fourth quarter around the holiday season. And this is when I think a lot of people start to think more about charitable giving because it's it's something that's all around us. Sometimes it's less formal. I think about when you go to a grocery store and you go to the checkout and as you're getting ready to swipe your card, it pops up a screen. Do you want to round up for the food bank or give a certain amount of money? Um, it could be something like when a friend maybe is running in a 5K and they're trying to raise money for that organization and you decide to donate. Or it might be something a little bit more formal. Maybe you're giving gifts on a regular basis to a place of worship, or you're making uh, annual donations to certain charities that you like, or you've made a pledge over a certain number of years. So there's a lot of really powerful ways to incorporate charitable giving strategies in your long-term financial plan and your estate planning. But we're going to expand that that conversation today to get more into uh, bigger picture philanthropic goals where the impact can be much longer lasting, it can be more strategic, and it can enhance other personal goals and provide some tax incentives and, and even some retirement income planning. So there's a lot to talk about today. Uh, with that, let me bring on Kate McKenzie from the Pittsburgh Foundation. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Jim. So glad to be here. Well, we're happy you could join us. Uh, just at the beginning here, just tell us a little bit about your role at the Pittsburgh Foundation and, and what you do on a daily basis. Sure. Again, thanks again. So so glad to be here to talk about charitable giving. It's such an important subject. Um, I work for the Pittsburgh Foundation, a community foundation in Pittsburgh, of course, and I work in our donor services and development department. And our department here works directly with individuals and families to create their own philanthropic plan now and forever. Uh, all of our funds at the Pittsburgh Foundation are permanent endowments. So we are speaking with our donors on a daily basis about all the things that they'd like to make a positive impact on in their communities. And then also when they're no longer here, what does this fund support on a longer term basis? And it's the best job in the world. We get to connect folks with the causes they care about most and the most pressing needs in our region. So this is something that, you know, I think when, when Patrice was mentioning some of those statistics at the beginning, you know, $500 billion was donated to charity last year and 90% of America's wealthiest households make annual gifts. I think a lot of people think that philanthropy is really something that the wealthy do, but that's not really the case. But why do higher income folks and, and higher net worth families engage in charitable giving? Like what motivates them? So I think a motivation for many of the families that we meet with who are interested in creating a plan are trying to find ways to speak to the next generation of their family 
about their values and really passing those down to their kids and their grandkids. And so charitable giving for high net worth individuals gives them, uh, gives these folks an entree to talk about things that are their highest ideals, the things that uh, are more, most important to them. And it really doesn't have anything to do with a dollar sign or performance of investments. It's really more about the change that a family would like to see in the world. And so approaching, again, families to talk about uh, charity uh, versus money necessarily is uh, certainly something higher net worth individuals and families are looking to do. There's certainly tax reasons, advantages for folks to think about charitable giving with, you know, in consultation with their financial advisor, their CPA, et cetera. But I think that from what I see most of all with our donors here is that they are really interested in making a change in the community. And so they have the ability to do it uh, with the dollars that they have been blessed with, whether that's been through inheritance or hard work, most of the time hard work uh, in Pittsburgh. And so I would say that that's, you know, those those two things are are certainly high on the list. So when you think about the the causes that that these folks are are donating to. I mean, what are what are some of the examples that you encounter at the Pittsburgh Foundation that people really want to put their dollars behind? So we're seeing, especially uh, with the COVID uh, pandemic that changed everybody's lives, that donors are interested in really supporting organizations that are providing basic needs support to our communities. Everyone saw the long lines during the pandemic and even now, right? They haven't changed all that much for food. Those types of basics are just, we're seeing a lot of our donors who are interested in supporting those causes. So anything around food and shelter, physical and mental health care, child care and education, as well as employment is something that is always resonating uh, with our donor base. So let's talk a little bit about different ways that people can give. Because like I was saying earlier, it almost seems like something like you have to be ultra wealthy in order to set up a foundation and make a lasting impact. But that's not really the case. I mean, what are what are some different ways that either an individual or a family can give to causes or charities that they have a, have a passion for? So the easiest way that individuals can give back to nonprofits is certainly with their time. Being a volunteer or board member, being boots on the ground help to them is incredibly important. But as far as financially, many of our donors and donors are across the country based on the statistics that you shared are, you know, writing checks individually to the causes that uh, they're involved in or, or resonate with them in some way. So simply writing that check, sending it in the mail or, you know, putting a dollar or two in the uh, donation bin when they're at church, uh, people are definitely giving that way. There are many who love to give that way and that works for them year after year but there's also different options for a longer term or a more strategic way to think about giving to charities throughout their region so what are some of those methods i'm thinking of somebody who says you know i've got maybe you know five thousand ten thousand dollars a year that i would like to give i'm not really even sure where i want it to go yet i just know i want it to go somewhere eventually i want to start to build up a pool of money versus somebody else who may have you know substantial means and they say you know, i've got hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars mm-hmm. how might those different segments of the population create a more lasting impact um, w- with the funds that they have 
So there are a lot of options for individuals and families to give to charity that isn't necessarily just writing a check and sending it every single year. Whether you have 5000 or several million dollars, there's a, di- there's a few different options. Uh, donor-advised funds are certainly very popular charitable vehicle throughout the country on an annual basis. And there are many different options for folks to choose from. There are community foundations like us, the Pittsburgh Foundation. There are also commercial providers of donor-advised funds, such as Fidelity or Vanguard uh, or Schwab Charitable. And donor-advised funds are a great way to get an upfront tax deduction and have the ability to make grants at your convenience throughout the years. I would say that donor-advised funds are great for folks who have from the thousands, and it can go certainly through multi-millions. There's no doubt about it. Many, many of the higher net worth or ultra higher net high net worth folks have a choice between a donor advised fund and a private foundation, for instance. And private foundations are a way that families are creating their own philanthropic legacies in the community as well. So I would say, depending on the wealth and depending on the interest uh, of the donor to be involved with the philanthropy and the oversight on a longer term basis of the fund would really kind of determine which avenue a donor would go. So let's just spend just a moment, and I want to spend the bulk of the time talking about things like donor advice funds, but like a private foundation, I think, sounds amazing. And a lot of a lot of people think oh, that'd be great to be able to start one, but what does it really take to start a private foundation? What kind of money's involved? What kind of staff do you need? Because it seems like it's something that's really reserved for the ultra high net worth. Is that necessarily true? I, I would say yes, it should be reserved for that group. I think that from an administrative standpoint, they are very complicated to run. And in order to do that, you have to file a tax return every year. There's certainly uh, a minimum spend that a private foundation has to make of 5% on an annual basis. There could be some taxation issues for an individual or a family. And in addition to that, the they're taxed more, not as highly, I'm sorry, they're, it's not as great of a tax advantage to give to a private foundation versus um, a donor-advised fund or just a, a gift to a 501c3. So there's, it's a lot of work and you have to make sure that you have the expertise to be able to give those dollars out in a strategic way and on time uh, without penalties and you know great advisors to kind of help you shape that private foundation to do to do what you want it to. So let's dive into the weeds a little bit on on donor advised funds. Because I remember when I was first learning about these, I was amazed. I'm like, this kind of feels like a private foundation on a much smaller scale in the sense that I can start to put money into this plan. I can start to accumulate funds and donate it to charities that I feel good about in the future. And I don't even name that today. So let's just talk about just on, I guess, a 30,000 foot view. What is a donor advised fund and, and what kind of assets can you use to start a fund like this? Donor advised funds, again, are a very popular way that individuals and families are giving to charities throughout the years. And I think the reason for that is that they're very flexible. So an individual would come to, again, either a commercial provider like a Fidelity or a Vanguard or a community foundation like us and say, I would like to create something and name it and use it as a pool of dollars to give to charity throughout my lifetime. I would like to centralize the process of giving away dollars 
uh, for charitable purposes. And so that individual would make a gift to create a fund under the umbrella of the organization that they choose. They would get an un- upfront tax deduction by the end of that for that charitable year um, or for that calendar year, I'm sorry. And then they would be able to use those dollars then to grant at their convenience to different charities as they see fit. So Kate, how much money would it take just to start one? Someone says, I just want to get off the ground. I just want to get something like this going. Is there a minimum that they should have in mind before they start to go down a path like this? So they should probably know what level of investment that they would like to make before speaking with different organizations about starting a fund. If an individual is interested in starting a fund with a commercial provider, you can start one with as little as a few hundred dollars. The Pittsburgh Foundation minimum to start a donor advised fund is $10,000. And there also uh, is something that a donor will want to consider before they make, uh, before they approach organizations is kind of this idea of how long they would like this fund to go on for. So if you can think about a charitable bank like a Fidelity as more transactional. And you could look at a community foundation like the Pittsburgh Foundation as uh, a deeper dive philanthropic experience, whereas you know this fund is a permanent endowment or it has a portion of it that's permanently endowed, which it means it's invested and growing and will continue to make grants out of the fund forever, which is a hard thing to kind of wrap your head around. But it, it's kind of good to have an idea of the investment dollar-wise and then also the investment of time and how engaged one wants to be in the process of learning and granting dollars away to causes. So let's, let's walk the audience through a couple of examples. So let's let's say that I'm I'm at that point and I say, you know what, I want to I want to donate uh, ten thousand bucks, and I'm trying to decide between should I should I do this through an organization like the Pittsburgh Foundation or go through like one of the commercial providers. And I want this to last. I mean, obviously $10,000 isn't going to make a massive impact forever, right? But how much of that $10,000, does it, is there a certain amount that has to be given away each year? Or can I just say, that's really all I have for right now. I want to decide later on what we do with this. Like, how does that work? Yeah, I think that's the beauty of the Donor Advised Fund product in that There is no minimum grant that has to be given out on an annual basis. There's been a lot of talk about that out there in the world, but there is no requirement. And so it does give donors the freedom to set up their fund wherever they choose and then decide later where they'd like to grant dollars out, whether they'd like to learn more about a particular issue that needs to be addressed in the community or they are just waiting to be solicited um, and that might not happen for a couple of years and they wait until then to to make grants. So it really does give the donor that flexibility. Uh, you had a question about the portion that remains endowed if an individual were to work with the Pittsburgh Foundation. Here, our minimum is $10,000 that has to remain in that perpetual part of the fund that is uh, invested um, over time. And it's really the, you know, we work with the donor on that longer term plan to say, when you're no longer here, how would you like this fund to be managed? And I won't go on too long about this, but there is certainly an option to engage the next generation in grant making on funds at the, at the Pittsburgh Foundation. And so a donor advised fund can be that vehicle to pass on those values and create a family legacy that I think a lot of, which is the reason why a lot of people are 
kind of they gravitate towards the private foundation, not knowing that you can actually actually accomplish that with the donor advised fund as well. Because yeah, I, I think actually think it's worth spending a little bit more time on because you know I, I think if somebody says, all right, I'm going to start with maybe a smaller amount today, but maybe I'm, I'm going to feed this account over time. Maybe each year I put in five thousand or ten thousand dollars. Next thing you know, the, the pool of money starts to grow rather nicely. So if if I heard you right, you're saying a portion of the money is, is going to be permanently endowed to the Pittsburgh Foundation, but then the growth of that money beyond that, that's really where you start to get the family involved to say, okay, what's what's the bigger picture here? Am I hearing that right? Exactly. So the fund is being established with, let's just say, $15,000 to begin with. We know that $10,000 has to remain invested in that perpetual part of the fund. And then as the fund grows over time and more gifts are made, dollars can be granted out by families and decisions can be made as a family to support different charities. So in the case of $15,000, we know that $10,000 stays in the perpetual part and they have the flexibility with the $5,000 in order to give out during their lifetimes. So as this pot of money gets gets larger and maybe the original donor passes away, the family's able to come in and say, hey, you know what, dad, dad was a big golfer. He really enjoyed that sport, treated him well in life. And we think that it would be important to take a piece of this money and donate it to a junior golf foundation. There's that level of flexibility to decide years later, we want to make this gift. Absolutely. Many of our donors are using their donor advised funds as ways to engage the next generation. And so there is certainly an opportunity for our donors to name their children and grandchildren as successor advisors to make those grant-making decisions later uh, after the original donor advisors are no longer willing and able to advise. So, uh, and and again, that's that's an ongoing conversation with donors, especially when they come into the Pittsburgh Foundation and learn more about us. Sometimes donors aren't very sure. Maybe their kids are young and, you know, it's not time to name them as successor advisors. But over a period of time, they're coming along to meetings or being engaged in conversations around philanthropy and values. And so the donors are then naming those children to take over the grant making capacity of the fund. So it truly is a family legacy. How, how different is it from one of the commercial providers? I mean, are they getting involved like this for multiple generations? Or like you mentioned earlier, it seems kind of transactional where yeah. it's that you put some money in here, it just kind of sits there. No one's really talking to you about it. Is that really the way it goes? I think if you reach a certain dollar amount, the charitable banks will talk to you <laughs> and help you all that you need with your with your families. I think that what you're really looking at is a difference of expertise in the region. Community foundations in particular can help donors to really understand the most pressing needs in the area in which the donor lives. Uh, and so a Fidelity or a Vanguard might not have that kind of expertise. So although I think that they would they would be able to at a certain multi-million dollar amount give a level of service if you're really looking for experts in in a particular space and in a community based uh this is it's it, there's no kind of comparison to the experience All right cuz you guys have boots on the ground i mean you're you live here you work here you're in the community whereas you know a large institution that's headquartered elsewhere they just may not have the boots on the ground doesn't yeah. make them doesn't make it wrong it's just a, it's a different kind of a feel Absolutely. We have our program team at the Pittsburgh Foundation is certainly one of the best in the country. We have incredible 
teammates here who have been steeped in our community and understanding the needs of our nonprofits. And there's no other experience like working with the development and donor services team and our program team here, you know, as far as learning more and understanding who's doing great work in a particular space. Perfect. So, Kate, before we we go into the next topic, because I want to talk a little bit about tax advantages and things like that, but we're pretty lucky. Our audience is growing. Uh, in fact, we have people all over the country listening to this show. And there might be somebody listening going, all right, this is great. This is this is the Pittsburgh Foundation. Mm-hmm. But I live in California or whatever. Do all the families that you work with, are they all Pittsburgh-based or do you guys work with folks throughout the country? So the majority of our donors have some kind of connection to Pittsburgh. doesn't necessarily mean they live here now, but I would say that community foundations in general all across the country, and there are hundreds, Uh, there are certainly uh, community foundations in all corners of this country that would be able to help individual donors in those regions. But I would say the vast majority of our donors, yes, have some connection to Pittsburgh, whether it's their family created a business that did well here, um, may not live here anymore, or they lived here at some point in their lifetime. Okay, perfect. So, so basically, if, if if the Pittsburgh Foundation, you know, this isn't where their roots are in any way, they can find a group like yours around the country. Yes, there are community foundations all across the country that can help individual donors to really understand the needs in the region and help them to be more philanthropic. I think the good thing about community foundations, as we're we are all connected, we all work somewhat differently as well. And so I would say a community foundation is a great place to start for anyone who's interested in a charitable giving plan. So let's shift gears a little bit and and talk about tax incentives and and even work a little bit into the estate planning conversation. So you mentioned earlier that when somebody donates to a donor advised fund, they're getting the tax deduction at the moment that gift is being made, correct? That's right. Okay. So if you're thinking about what assets do you use to fund that donor advised fund? What what types of assets make sense? So I would think that the type of gift that we see most often at the foundation as a way to give to charity is through appreciated assets. So appreciated stock is what we see a lot at the foundation and charitable giving does in general. And so the reason for that is because the donor receives uh, fair market value for the gift of the appreciated stock, and they don't have to realize the capital gains tax on that asset. So it gives you the most bang for your buck. You get to use all of the value. You don't have to be taxed on the appreciation, and you can use that for your for charitable purposes. So appreciated appreciated assets, uh, appreciated stock is is a huge win and has been very successful for lots of folks giving to charity on an annual basis. Other ways that individuals are creating their own philanthropic funds is many times with privately held stock as well. So business owners are using this as a way to pass down the business to the next generation during a sale or you know just business transition so that's certainly an option and a way that folks are able to be charitable when they're moving on with their uh, in the next uh, phase of their of their life after their business i think other ways that we are seeing individual support charity is certainly through their required minimum distributions and using those for charitable purposes, which is actually called a QCD. That's another way we're seeing it. Also, of course, cash. We see lots of cash, but usually there's there's a strategy 
And it makes sense to include your advisor for that reason in order to get the the biggest bang for your buck, if you will. So basically, if you have assets in your balance sheet that if you were to sell would otherwise cause a, a pretty big tax, that's something that you could immediately think of. This goes in the bucket of things we should consider giving to charity. Cash always works. Um, what about beneficiary designations? Do you see p- people name their donor advised fund as a partial beneficiary to a life insurance policy or to an IRA, things like that? Yes, we do see that quite often. And earmarking an IRA or their fund uh, as the beneficiary of their IRA is a great way to give to charity at death. We see many donors do this because the next generation of their family, their kids are being highly taxed on that asset. So usually a retirement plan is the best use at death for charitable giving to add to something that's maybe already been established uh, within an entity whether that's a private foundation or a community foundation donor advised fund. And, you know, they're, they're able to, or, you know, it's something that they planned on just doing at death and, and uh, have, don't have something set up yet. So it's certainly a smart way to, to be charitable. Yeah, it's interesting because there's, there's been some changes in the tax laws the last few years that I know a lot of folks haven't brushed up on these rule changes yet, but, you know, it used to be that when you died, you could pass money down to the next generation and they could, take those distributions and stretch them out over their lifetime. Well, with the new tax law, you now have to compress that into a 10-year time period. Right. There's a lot of people saying, wow, if I calculate the tax on that, my kids may have gone from a, a lower bracket to a, mm-hmm. the top bracket. So thinking about that ticking tax time bomb that's in place and, and, and incorporating that in your charitable giving strategies could be a huge way to not only give back, involve the kids, but also save a bunch on, on taxes. Yes, and we see donors a lot, Jim, who have this idea that they want to be charitable and they also want to support their kids. They're considering there are so many other assets that we are leaving the next generation. Why wouldn't we earmark this portion of our hard-earned money to do something bigger in the community? And also they can still have that next generation advise on grants out the door to different charities. So it's not as if the kids won't be connected to that asset in the future. It's just that it will be for charitable purposes. So that's certainly a lot of the ways that we're talking with donors who come in the door to the foundation. It's also interesting because if if you look at the tax code and there's a lot of changes that are coming up, uh, 2026, especially when you know the current estate tax laws are going to sunset and we're going to have a brand new set of laws that we're going to have to worry about. You know, you, you think about it, like you work hard your entire life, you you're successful, you build a net worth, and when you pass it down to the next generation, there's a couple taxes to pay. There's the income tax that may be due on things like IRA assets, 401ks, but there could be an inheritance tax, could be an estate tax. But when you give the charity, you know, you're able to basically take money that otherwise would have gone to the government and it's going to the organization that you choose. And I think about this and go, well, the money's going to go to somebody other than the kids to some extent. Mm-hmm. Why not get them involved and see that money in action in the community versus giving it to the government? It's an opportunity to engage the family. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely. Otherwise, the government becomes the charity by default, and they'll they'll choose where your dollars go. And you may not agree with that, right? You may have said, "I would have spent that money differently." Yeah. So it takes what, a little bit of planning, but um, it can be a great plan if you approach it early. Right, and like anything else in planning, it's the sooner you do this, the sooner you start talking about it, the better. Versus waiting to the last second and trying to figure this out. So, okay, what what about a situation where somebody says, "Yeah, I, I would love to give more money to charity, and I like to do it in a big way, but I'm kind of worried still for myself." I'm not totally sold on the fact that I have enough money to live on in retirement. Is there a way to give to charity and yet still 
receive income from that asset while I'm alive and then give the money to the charity upon my death? Yeah, there are a couple different options uh, that we see helping folks who you would define that way. We have the ability to match folks with a charitable remainder trust, for instance, so um, an annuity trust or unitrust. And so this is where a donor would create this trust and the owner would receive an annuity or a payment for their life or a term of years, and they would receive these payments annually. And then when the donor passes away, the remainder of that trust goes to charity. So it could be to a fund that is already set up, or it could be to you know, a food bank in the area or another nonprofit that the donor cares about. So that would be a great fit for someone who might be a little bit o- older and is looking for, you know, a new stream of income. They're charitable, obviously, and they're seeking to make, you know, meaningful impact after their lifetime. So it's kind of a, a few different benefits to that one because you're getting lifetime income, so that checks an important box. But also, you're still getting a tax deduction. Not to get into the weeds on right. how deductions right. work in charitable trusts, but there's still a deduction there, correct? There is. And then there might be other assets that otherwise you pay a big tax on that you might be able to kind of diffuse that that tax bond a little bit with some of the charitable deductions that you're getting. So these things all really work together. What about if we take the same scenario, but we flip it? So somebody wants the charity to get the income now, but they're thinking about later on in life, I kind of, I want that asset back or I want that asset back to give to my kids. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to do that? Yeah. And this is a, a good fit for high net worth individuals who are charitably inclined, but they don't necessarily need the income and want to pass it on tax free to their kids. And I'm not a CPA or tax professional by any means, but you know, there are significant values to doing the charitable remainder, or I'm sorry, the charitable lead trust. And so a lead trust is really where the charity receives the trust income for a term of years and the remainder. Once the donor, originating donor, passes away, the remainder of that would go to a beneficiary. So that child or next gen would receive the distribution from that tax free. And so that really takes that future appreciation out of the estate. That's a great solution there. And it works for somebody who's interested in making those ongoing donations during their lifetime to the things they care about most. Perfect. So obviously, there's a lot of tools in this toolbox as Patrice opened us up with here. There's a lot of different avenues to go in. So I guess when, when somebody's starting to think about this, this isn't like a uh, a uh, an individual sport, is it? I mean, this is something that they really should be talking to their their team of, uh, of advisors and professionals. Uh, why is that? Why is it important to include their, their entire professional team of people that they work with with their finances? Well, I think that every individual or every every family that comes to the table has folks that help them make great decisions whether that's should i buy this new house <laughs> you know should uh, my should i send my kid to this college and so leaning on experts and advisors that are around you is incredibly important for tax purposes for working with it we've talked about it a lot, next generation of your family, and then also really to make sure that everything is planned and everything has a place. And so I find that the donors slash clients that are the happiest that I work with are those that have all of their advisors at the table when making charitable decisions like this. 
So whether that's a financial advisor, an estate attorney, a CPA, and then including someone from the charitable world, that's just when the best decisions and best outcomes can be made so that there's no questions that can't be answered around that table. And it gives the the donor and the client a clear picture of the different options available to them. And we've talked about so many of them today, and it can be overwhelming if you've never heard about a lot of these before. And so having these advisors around the table can really help to kind of steer you in the direction that makes sense based on the kind of outcomes you're looking for. Excellent. So I know this is a a new topic to many people, and I know the Pittsburgh Foundation is very big on education. So if somebody wants to to learn more about charitable giving or the differences between the donor advised fund and versus a private foundation or, or whatever it is, what kinds of resources can you point people to, to to start to become more familiar with some of these topics that may may feel a little complicated on the surface? I think a great place to start when doing research about the best fit for your charitable giving um, would be to talk to a trusted advisor. That might be a great first step. I also think making a call to a local community foundation would be a great resource as well. I talk to individuals all of the time who do not know which direction to go. And I don't work on commission. Community foundation folks don't work on commission. We're nonprofits ourselves. So uh, we are absolutely able to make recommendations to say, you know, you may not be a great fit for a community foundation based on some of the things that we've discussed, but I think you'd be a great fit for this organization, or I think you'd be a great fit for a charitable bank model donor advised fund. So really lean on community foundation development professionals to to fit your uh, philanthropy to the right place. There's there's no reason not to. Again, we're we're a nonprofit and we're just hoping to help as many people as we can give dollars away to charity whether it's with us or it's not. Um, we see it all as a win. So okay, what's what's the uh, foundation's website if, if someone wants to check you guys out and, and get more familiar with what the Pittsburgh Foundation is all about? Where can you direct them? It's www.pittsburghfoundation.org. All right. Fantastic. Well, Kate, I know you're super busy. You're always out in the community talking to folks about these kinds of things. And it, it means a lot to our audience that you took time out of your schedule to, to join us and open up this toolbox with us and, and give us a good intro as to what's possible with, with charitable giving. It's been great to be with you. Thanks so much. All right. And Patrice, let me turn it back over to you to wrap up the show. Well, I want to say, Kate, that was fantastic. You outlined so many ways to give to an organization you care about. And you even talked about bringing your family together now and in future planning. Just fantastic. Thank so, you. Jim, we know how to reach Kate, but how can we reach you? A couple of ways to reach us. Uh, one is to go on our website, which is www.mcgovernwealth.com. You can also just uh, shoot us an email, info at mcgovernwealth.com. And uh, yeah, let us know what you're, what you're thinking in terms of, of charitable giving and some organizations that you're passionate about, and we'll, we'll dive in and cover the details with you. All right, listeners, follow this podcast, Maximizing Outcomes, to know when the latest episode is ready for you and share with others. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening to the Maximizing Outcomes podcast, brought to you by Jim McGovern and the McGovern Wealth Group. Be sure to follow the show to be notified when new episodes become available. To suggest a topic or guest for a future episode, or learn more about how we can help to maximize outcomes in your life, visit our website at www.mcgovernwealth.com. This podcast is intended for general public use and is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities. 
Guardian, or McGovern Wealth Group, and opinions stated are their own. By providing this content, Park Avenue Securities, LLC, is not undertaking to provide investment advice or a recommendation for any specific individual or situation, or to otherwise act in a fiduciary capacity. Please contact a financial representative for guidance and information that is specific to your individual situation. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Jim McGovern is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS. Member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America. Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. McGovern Wealth Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. CA Insurance License Number 0F67329 AR Insurance License Number 7119103 California Insurance License Number 0F67329 Arkansas Insurance License Number 7119103 Compliance Number 2023-164076 expires November of 2025.